The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves and some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Hello, everyone. It's Richard Beatty, And today on Useful to God with Dr. James Spencer, we're going to be answering a letter from the Apostle Paul, as well as relate to a story from Jesus when he speaks to the Samaritan woman at the well. Uh, James, we had some uh, snow this week in Colorado, and the little town that my wife and I live in, uh, the pastor couldn't make it to, to the church. And uh, the service was on social media. Well, uh, they had some problems. There was technical difficulties. And so we decided to worship at the Catholic Church, which is right behind our house. Uh, one of the rules in our marriage has always been that we choose a church within walking distance. Uh, the church that we go to is in walking distance, however, not for the pastor. Uh, the bells rang out at 11, and so literally— in our backyard, we attended a Roman Catholic Mass. So I got to thinking about what Paul writes to the Corinthians when there wasn't so much denominant, dominant, <laughs> I knew that was going to be one of those words, <laughs> denominationalism. And then John 4.23 hits me right between the eyes. Jesus tells a Samaritan woman, yes, a time is coming and, and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in the truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Is the context similar or the same here? Well, uh, I think it probably is fairly similar. Um, what we have in this passage um, with the Samaritan woman is really this moment where Jesus is diving into a, um, not exactly a Gentile, the Samaritans would have been Jew and Gentile sort of mixed, but they were a, um, not viewed as a positive, uh, folk, let's say the Jews really don't enjoy or don't like the Samaritan people. And so Jesus finds himself in Samaria. Samarians, um, believe that they were to worship on Mount Gerizim. And um, Jesus engages this woman and tries to help her understand that um, she's looking in the wrong place and that really um, the place that she should be looking is to him, that he is going to be the ultimate end goal locus of all worship. And so I, I think in that sense, um, it is sort of a very similar context. Yeah, so here we are. We, we're attending a church that uh, to, uh, this last Sunday that excludes us from receiving communion. It's also a church <laughs> that has been canceled uh, by a lot of evangelical churches. However, even though the approach and style may be different, what churches are and what churches are oh, what churches are and what churches are not part of the body. Yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, I, I think that, you know, this has changed over the years. Um, we, uh, as I understand it, um, Catholics have um, sort of, we're the dissociated brethren as opposed to, a, you know, a sect that is no longer um, Christian at all. And I do see a lot of um, prominent Christians talking a little bit more friendly about Catholics and Catholic doctrine. 
But I would still say that there are many um, Christians who believe that Catholics uh, hold to uh, a false gospel. And um, I, I haven't dug deeply enough into some of the um, Catholic doctrine to know whether that's the case or not. But here's what I will say. I, I think that um, there are certainly times when we approach God on our terms. And I would say that while we have often used the sort of Jesus as a litmus test to determine who is in and who is out, um, you know, do they profess Jesus as Lord? Do they profess to be saved by grace through faith? And that's really all we need. Um, those are certainly good tests. I don't want to deny those as tests, but I also think that there's other aspects of it that we should be looking at. So in other words, those who um, are united with Christ are to bear the fruit that is in keeping with that discipleship. And so um, there should be, you know, if we look at first John, for instance, um, what we find is that um, if they had been of us, they would not have left us. We see that um, those who know the love of God also love the brethren. And so we see some of these things that are it in order to identify and and truly be more than a nominal Christian, someone who just names themselves as a Christian. We have to exhibit certain characteristics that just become naturally emergent within our lives. And so as I look at it, um, those doctrinal litmus tests are important. Absolutely. No question about that. But I think then we also have to look at what is the fruit that is being shown within a given body of believers? And can we say that that is truly the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Can we really say that they are um, unified with themselves, but also with others? And I think one of the great places to go with this actually is, um, I believe it's Acts 11. Um, in Acts 11, um some of the some of the Jewish believers begin to share the the gospel with Gentiles. And in Acts chapter 11, it's actually the first time that this group of people who are following Jesus are called Christians. Once they start to engage and incorporate um, Gentiles into their into their group, um, they can no longer be viewed as a sect of Judaism. And now they are really and truly something slightly different which is why they're called Christians. But uh, toward the end of that passage, one of the things that happens is the, the Jerusalem church sends Barnabas to check things out. And Barnabas sees that the Holy Spirit truly is working amongst these people. He stays then, brings Paul along with him for a couple of years and teaches the people who are in this new church to train up and disciple these new believers. And by the end of it, when Paul and Barnabas are leaving, this group, this new mixed multitude of Jews and Gentiles who have been united in Christ, they send a love offering back to the people who are struggling in Jerusalem, back to the Jews. And so there's these multiple things that this community over time, which they probably had some aberrant beliefs early on, right? You know, whenever you come to faith, you don't usually know exactly all the doctrines, um, you know, and all the minutia that you can get into. Uh, but they exhibited the fruit of the Holy Spirit and they had mature believers there who were saying, yes, this group is a part of us. They have become one with us. This is amazing to watch the spirit work amongst these people. 
And so I say all that to say this, I think that in, in evaluating who is in and who is out, we have often leaned heavily on doctrinal distinction. And I think maybe not often enough looked for the movement of the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the bodies of people who are actually claiming to be united with Jesus Christ. All those are very good points. Uh, I, it, it was uh, one of those weeks where, because of the, the snow and the uh, and the way things, uh, the the way things were, we you know we could have definitely got on some sort of media, and uh, got, gone to another church. But then we're in a very small community, and um, we know some of those people, and we know them to be really Christian. Uh, and and um, I was brought up Catholic, so I, I really don't have a problem with going uh, to a, a Catholic church. And I, I find the Mass very, very biblical. And uh, But there are, there are certain things that you kind of go, oh, man, this is kind of, this is really different. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are certain aspects of, I mean, just from what I know of Catholicism, there are definitely certain aspects that Christians should, um, that should give Christians some pause. You know, um, the use of the deuterocanonical books, for instance, um, and the, the development of doctrine from books that we would not consider canonical that aren't included in our Bible. Um, Prayer to Mary, for instance, um, is drawn, I believe, from 2 Maccabees. Um, 2 Maccabees is a deuterocanonical, or we would call it an apocryphal work. And um, it, we believe that they're valuable to sort of help us understand um, what life would have been like in Second Temple Judaism, but we do not believe they're inspired. But um, some of the Catholic practices are drawn from those types of books. And so Christians need to just watch and be careful with that. Um, it, it, it isn't so much that I think that's immediately heretical, um, but I do find it highly problematic. And, and so we, we just need to be careful with some of those practices. But yeah, I mean, I, I think that, um, you know, Catholics by and large have been, um, you know, they do have a lot of elements that are drawn directly from God's word. I think the liturgies are very moving. And I think that that is definitely something that in a lot of Protestant circles, we've tended to lose. We've tended to lose the um, sort of liturgical aspects that the Catholics um, often get more right. And so um, I would, my only, um, my only cautions here would be, um, I guess, twofold. Um, number one, you know, we have to be careful in, in saying, yes, I believe there are some Catholics who are Christians. Um, would I be comfortable probably in a Catholic church? Maybe not. Um, I, I don't know that I've ever really attended a service. And so I, I can't speak to it as much. I will say that there are certain aspects of other church services that do give me pause. Um, some of the baptismal rituals, even in the Lutheran church, um, are, uh, more foreign to me at this point in my life. And I was, I grew up Lutheran, um, you know, and so there are just aspects of this that I think if we are, um, if we're paying attention in whatever worship service we attend, um, we'll find these places where, um, perhaps we have questions, but ultimately, you know, I think we have to, no matter where we are, no matter what we're looking at, our focus, like the Samaritan woman and like Jesus tells the Samaritan woman, is that, um, 
those who worship God will worship in spirit and truth. And Jesus is the central part of that. And so anytime we're anywhere, um, when we are focusing on Jesus, when we are giving him appropriate reverence, and when we are submitting to him on his terms, uh, I think we, we individually at least are worshiping and potentially groups of us are worshiping together. Well, thanks for that. I, um, I know we have um, people who listen to KLTT who are of the Catholic persuasion, so I, I, I thought this would be a good thing to talk about. And um, yeah, and I, you know, it's um, it, 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 there were a lot of things that 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 came, and yes, some red flags, as as you said, um, and uh, growing up. Uh, in the Catholic Church, uh, myself, I do feel now uh, in in my life uh, that it, it just like as you said uh, with, with the Lutheran Church, uh, there's some things that are are kind of foreign to you now. Yeah, and I do find it interesting. I mean, I I think I hope I haven't expressed anything that would um, be offensive to you know Catholic listeners, but. All I'm really trying to say is that as we navigate these issues, right, no church, no tradition, no, um, yeah, is is perfect. You know, none of them are perfect. And so as, as individual believers who are capable of, and I think really called to discern um, truth from falsehood on our own, um, I think that the Bible warrants that, you know, Christ is our mediator. And so um, part of what the Protestants originally sort of uh, revolted against was not having what would generally be called as the priesthood of the believer, the uh, the individual access to um, Christ and to God, particularly through prayer, but also through confession and various other things. And so I, I think we have a responsibility to discern where we are and to recognize the things that we uh, agree with and disagree with. Um, that doesn't mean that we have to, you know, throw the proverbial baby out with the bathwater, um, but it does certainly call us to be discerning and thoughtful and uh, not necessarily condemning. <laughs> right. Because I know that happens a lot as well, um, but uh, but certainly thoughtful and, and trying to recognize where our conscience is pricked. And we sit back and say, I'm not sure I agree with that aspect. But I would say that I have that experience in uh, in every church I've ever attended. Um, it, it doesn't have really anything to do with a denominational approach. And so, again, you know, where I'm what I'm struck with is, yes, I know there are doctrinal differences. And, um, you know, those are in some ways very complex and uh, and, you know, uh, to some degree, you know, it it takes a, a a more concentrated effort to study than I've given it um, to really comment on a lot of those. But I, I will also just say um, this is where we can use our discernment and the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given us in in recognizing his fruit uh, in the midst of these congregations and really trying to understand, is this the spirit moving amongst us at this point? Um, because I do think that, um, again, like Jesus says to the Samaritan woman, you know, there isn't a locale that that God is located in, <laughs> right? Um, you don't need to be in a particular place to worship the Lord. And I, I think that probably does speak to individual conscience 
more than it speaks to denominational preference. Yeah, uh, and uh, that's that's what really struck me about that because I I love that part, uh, and it's and it's not often talked about the the part where. Uh, Jesus is is back talking to the woman uh, who was at the well and and talking about you know one day uh, we will all worship uh, and worship will all be in spirit and uh, that mm-hmm. that really does say hey this is not going to be a a, a, a place uh, but it will be we'll we'll all be worshiping in the spirit and and he's talking about one spirit he's talking about the Holy Spirit isn't he. He is. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. He's talking about um, those who are united in Jesus Christ. You know, he's had this whole discourse with this woman at the well where he's asked her for water. And then um, she kind of questions that. And he says, you know, if you knew who you were talking to, you'd ask me for water that will never run out. You'll never be thirsty again if you drink the water that I give you. And uh, and so Jesus is presenting himself as really the way, the truth and the life in this passage He's presenting himself to this Samaritan woman as the the solution to the human problem of sin. And he's presenting himself as King and Messiah. And so he is the unifying factor by which we come to be unified with one another. If we're not united with Christ, we are not united with one another. And so Jesus is sort of the locus through which we worship in spirit and in truth. And I think that for John, particularly, um, this story is found in the Gospel of John, and I think for John particularly, um, truth is not so much a proposition as it is a person. Jesus is the person who reveals reality. And so as we look at this, if we think about this story, what Jesus is really saying is, the truth you need is me. The spirit you need will come. And so that is the day. Um, that this is coming. And so whether you worship on Mount Gerizim or whether you uh, worship in Jerusalem doesn't really make a whole lot of difference at this point. And it certainly won't make a difference later because even if you're worshiping in Jerusalem like right now and you reject me, you will no longer be worshiping in spirit and truth. And so I, I think that's really what Jesus is saying. And that goes back to, you know, this idea that when we accept Christ, we accept him on his terms. That's why we believe in biblical authority. We believe that biblical authority, that, that the Bible is what, G, what God has given us to govern our worship together, to govern our, our very lives. And so to the extent that we sit underneath that biblical authority, we are now engaging God, the triune God, and Jesus in particular, on his terms. We're not doing it on our terms. The aberrations or the, the the sort of odd things within our, our denominational practices, those things are done on our terms. Now, it's not a strict black and white. There is certainly a gray area there, right? Um, you know, worship styles, um, the way you dress when you go to church, what rituals you have, how often you do communion. All of these things are sort of up for grabs, right? They're in that nice, wonderful gray area. Um, that we can use to create a, a cadence within our church cultures. But the reality is that um, the litmus test is still Jesus Christ. It's still accepting him on his terms, not on our terms. And so um, as we look at churches and we're discerning, we have to be careful to say, this seems like it is one of those things that could sit in the gray area, right? I may be upset that not everybody's wearing a necktie, but let's face it, that is not a, you know, a real 
<laughs> that's not a real theological problem, let's say. But then there will be other things where we really do have to be more discerning and asking ourselves, am I being taught to engage Jesus on my terms? Or am I being asked and told to submit to Jesus on his? And I think that is as simple a way as I can put it of what the church is supposed to do to build itself up. And um, increasingly, I've been thinking that building up the body of Christ is something that we do for the sake of the world. And so it's extremely crucial that we understand, are we being built up as the body of Christ? Um, are we continuing to be pushed to submit to Jesus's authority? And uh, because ultimately to be the church is to be the church for the world. That's great. Um, James, let's uh, let's talk about the the new book that you auth- authored. Uh, we have about uh, we have about five six minutes. Uh, Serpents and doves. Uh, what's it about, <laughs> and who's it for? You know, um, it's about Christians and politics, um, and it it really takes um, a serious look at Matthew ten, which is where Jesus sends his disciples out as sheep amongst wolves and tells them to, to be as wise as serpent and innocent as doves. And uh, from that passage, what I think we find is that Jesus is urging his disciples not to trust in those who will betray them. Uh, There are many people who are going to reject Jesus. There are many people who are going to reject his disciples. And Jesus encourages his disciples not to trust those people. And so from that, um, what I begin to sort of lay out in the book is how is it that Christians should be thinking about and putting um, governing authorities, particularly governing authorities in the United States, in their proper place. Uh, the goal of the book is certainly not to make uh, politics trivial. I don't believe that politics are trivial. I believe that God establishes the state um, for very specific and important reasons. And so politics are not trivial. They're just not ultimate. And so we have to make sure that as we're thinking through the order of things, that we are appropriately ordering our relationship to the political world. And I think increasingly America. And so uh, that's largely what the book covers to do that. Um, I look at some of the historical claims that are made about, you know, America being a Christian nation. I look at the way uh, certain Bible passages have been used in American history. And I look at those Bible passages in context and just talk about, Um, why it is that maybe they've been misapplied across the ages. And so there's a lot of biblical work that I do in the book to try to help Christians rethink our relationship to the state and in particular, the American state. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to the read. I have not read all of it yet. I've, uh, uh, I, I think I glanced at some some chapters, and we certainly have talked about uh, things like Christian nationalism and uh, things that have uh, come up uh, in in that area. Uh, now, uh, I also want to. Uh, uh, this is uh, this is actually when this show will air is the first week of Lent, and mm. uh, Ash Wednesday and Valentine's Day are the same day, same day, which uh, I, I I guess. The last time that happened was seven years ago. Uh, last week, we talked about um, not only what people can give up for Lent, but also what people can do during the Lent season. 
Uh, let's talk about that in regard to the studies and classes that you offer at usefultogod.com. Yeah, I mean, we like to think that we've got some really good classes up and running. Um, we should have additional classes up. Um, and what I think we offer are opportunities for people to come in, to study, to think about God's word, and to occupy themselves or give attention to God and his word as opposed to giving attention to something else. Um, and so as, as we do these courses, what we tend to encourage people to do is not just to squeeze them into your already busy life, but to find something that you know is hindering your walk with the Lord. Set that aside and pick up these courses. Let them help you grow in your spiritual life and your spiritual walk and, uh, and let them be an encouragement to you so that you can sort of break one bad habit and replace it with a good one. I uh, have spent a lifetime doing that. <laughs> trying anyhow. And, that's you know, right. That's I think we, we all have. Is, is it's a, it's a never-ending never ending battle. I so. know it is. And uh, you, know, you, you know what we're talking about here. So. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, that's about all the time we have today. And uh, we'll be back next week. I know you're going to be doing a little bit of traveling. I uh, I wish you well during during that. We'll we'll be back next week. 